So hey, why don't you grab your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of Colossians. You can turn to the index page there, no shame in that game, and give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. 2-6 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We're glad that you're here um, as we're continuing in the study through Colossians, this New Testament book. And we're saying that it's all about Jesus, that this book of the Bible, um, apart from the Gospels, shows us so clearly who Jesus is and what the implications of that means. And a number of weeks back on our um, introduction message, you can catch all of the messages on the website or our podcast if you've missed any of those, we said there's a number of reasons sort of why the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. And the first one we said is, is to show the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That means uh, for Jesus to be first. And, and, and we challenged the idea that, that we said that doesn't mean that Jesus is important. Yes, he is, but that's not the question. The question is not, is Jesus important? The question is, is Jesus first and foremost? That's an entirely different question. That's why when we see the passage in chapter 1, for, for he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by, it's just this massive view of Jesus. It's the supremacy of Jesus. But then another reason why the Apostle Paul is writing this is to show the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The sufficiency, and what that means is, is that Jesus is enough. That Jesus really is enough. 
And um, today in our chapter two, we're gonna we, we got a lot of verses. So hopefully you brought a snack today. But no, I'm just kidding, right? But um, there's a lot here today that we're gonna dive into, and, and maybe this will sort of help us as an introduction. When Courtney and I lived up in St. Louis, um, I was a student pastor there, and uh, just loved students, still love students, love student ministry. And once a year, we would bring the kids from St. Louis down here. My dad was pastoring a church in this area, and we still knew a number of people down here. And so we would bring the kids from St. Louis, um, you know, the sort of urban environment, South County, St. Louis, and we would bring them down to Donovan for what we called a Boys and Girls Weekend. And we would float on Current River. We would have campfires. We would do all of that stuff. And it was a ton of fun for kids that lived in the city to come down and get eaten up by mosquitoes and chiggers and ticks and get sunburnt and do all of that good stuff. And, and it was a blast. But on the day that we would go floating, uh, there was a number of people from my dad's church that volunteered to help us. I would always have one guy um, sort of give a speech to the kids. Uh, and, and this guy had sort of lived in Donovan, grown up there, been around the river his whole life. And um, if you know anything about being around this area, um, Current River can be dangerous, and it's something to, to be respected. And so these kids, who the only river that they had seen was the Lazy River in Six Flags or something like that, quite a bit of difference. And so this guy would always give the speech, and he would always say, listen, you know, I've grown up around here, but the moment that you don't respect this river is the moment that this river will take you out. There's a lot of things in this river. There's a lot of trees. There's a lot of logs. There's a lot of things in this river that can take you out, that can take you under. And so please be aware of what you're doing today and where you're at. And then, of course, the kids would almost be like, goodness, do we even need to float down this river, you know? But I'm always glad that he did that. But um, today in these verses, that's sort of what the Apostle Paul does. He says um, that in life, and, and actually not just in life, but in the church, in the river, in the stream of Christianity, there are actually a number of things, of, of false teachings that can take you out, and that can take you under, and that can lead you away in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And actually, um, in the passage, if you can just see verses 8, 16, and 18, there's a number of warnings um, in the passage that you see. Um, verse 8, he says this, See that no one takes you captive. The word um, captive literally means to take you away. See that nobody takes you away. Verse 16, um, let no one pass judgment on you to render a judgment on you. And then in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. So, so just like how that gentleman would give those kids a speech... What the Apostle Paul is doing in these verses today for us as Christians in 2021, living in Popper Bluff, Missouri, God's Word is timeless, so it's always timely. He says, listen, there's a number of things that you need to watch out for. There's a number of things that creep into the church time and time again that we need to be aware of. And listen, may we not be like what C.S. Lewis said, um, that we would have chronological snobbery, is what he said. That we look back upon time 
and say those people struggled with those things, but we're so much more advanced. Listen, if these things are in God's Word and God's Word is timeless, that tells me that they are things that we still struggle with in the Christian faith today. And um, what's interesting is when you look at the false teaching that crept into the church in Colossae, when we hear false teaching, what we think is things like um, reject Jesus now and, and bow to this statue of Satan, right? Or something like that. Like, like that's what we think false teaching is. And we think, oh man, like why do I need to be on guard for, for something as, as blatant as that? But the reality is, is that was not the false teaching that was creeping into the church or what we see in the rest of the New Testament. The false teaching was not um, outright reject Jesus, it was an equation that they were passing along. And um, it's the most deadliest equation that we can see. And, and, and the equation is simply this. Jesus plus whatever equals everything. That was the false teaching. It wasn't reject Jesus. Here's what it was. Don't miss this. This is the whole message, okay? It was add to Jesus. Add to Jesus. Jesus plus the Republican Party equals, we're just doing it, 9 a.m., we're just like right out, okay? Jesus plus the Democratic, Jesus plus tongues. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus rule. Jesus plus something that we put at the same level um, equals everything. And, and the scary thing about it is, is, is we don't think that we do this. That's why it's so scary. Um, and then maybe it's even deeper than that. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just confess my sin today, okay? God forbid that, you know, we confess sin in church, right? But for me, it's um, Jesus plus my performance equals everything. Which actually underneath that is Jesus plus approval um, equals everything. Like, I even struggle with the idea that if I preach a good sermon, maybe God loves me more. Are you, you guys don't struggle with anything like that? Okay, am I the only one confessing sin today in church, right? Um, Jesus plus control. Jesus plus finances. Jesus plus the safety of my children. I mean, I mean, whatever it is, when you put that in the blank, what ends up happening is you take away from Jesus. Because Jesus plus something equals nothing. That Jesus is sufficient, that Jesus is enough, not just for our salvation, but for our everyday lives. That Jesus is enough. And listen, the equation is, is when you add to Jesus, you inevitably take away from him. Because that thing that you're trying to add to Jesus is an idol. That's the language that we're using. And what we will end up doing is serving that idol rather than Christ. So, so what the big idea and the thesis today, and, and to sum up all these verses, is simply this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, and in these verses, what we see are, are four things, four equations 
that the false teachers were trying to add to Jesus. Remember, it wasn't um, just outright reject Jesus and then believe this. It was, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is good. Oh, yeah, 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 church is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, God's word, it's good. But also, in order for fulfillment, it's blank. It's, it's this. And some of these things are spiritual in nature, and some of these things are just fleshly pleasures in nature. But listen, every one of us in this room today will struggle with one of these four things that we see listed in these verses. And listen, I believe that through the power of God's Word and through the power of His Spirit that there can be freedom in this place today. Amen? That where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where liberty reigns. That Jesus says, come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because the reality is, is when you add something to Jesus, that life is exhausting. It's exhausting. And you end up living your life in fear and in insecurity or in in despair or in pride in a number of ways. But the joy of the Christian life has been stolen because there's a number of things that can take us out and take us away. So what are they? Remember, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, the first false equation is this. Jesus plus wisdom equals philosophy. Jesus plus wisdom, look, it's right there in verse 8. You can see it in your Bible. See to it that no one takes you captive, takes you away, takes you out by philosophy. Um, This huge word in the Greek literally just means the love of knowledge. And, And it's the only time in the New Testament that it's actually used. And so this is a pretty big deal that that Paul says that these false teachers were coming in with philosophy. Well, what is philosophy? Well, I think before we do that, um, is is wisdom bad? Is wisdom bad? Um, No, we could use a lot more wisdom, okay? A lot, I mean, there's whole genres of scripture, Proverbs, James, all of these things are wisdom literature, okay? Which... Which tells me this. This is a teaching point that I have to discuss. Most of the things that we put into the equation are not bad things. They're actually good things. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when it's a bad thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when it's a bad thing. Wisdom, money, Sex, you name it, whatever it is, all of these things are good gifts given from God. But we have to keep them in the place as gifts from God. And when we elevate them to the same level as the giver, that's when it becomes an idol. And that's what was taking place here. And it's not just the the wisdom that you and I would talk about or, or godly wisdom. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes it. Philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Um, In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul would say this about false teachers. False teachers are always learning always learning, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Listen, if there's a verse 
that summarizes um, academia and uh, the science world and this, that, and the other right now in 2021, it's this verse, okay? Now, remember, we're not against those things. Praise be to God. I mean, if anything, I believe that more Christians could probably read a few more books, okay? That Christianity is not anti-intellectualism. That is, no, 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 not at all. But... It is a knowledge that leads us to something, that leads us to the truth. And and what we believe is, is that the truth is not a proposition, but the truth is a person, Jesus Christ. And so what does this look like today in, in 2021? How is this Jesus plus wisdom equal philosophy? What does this look like? Well, um, maybe you've heard the name um, Jordan Peterson. Um, Jordan Peterson wrote the book 12 Rules for Life. Um, I love Jordan Peterson. I read this book, and I actually think that you should read this book. He is actually a college professor who has skyrocketed into fame. 12 Rules for Life sold 5 million copies. He did a book tour reaching 250,000 people in 100 different cities. I mean, through his wisdom, he's allowed people to restore their marriages, um, people to get off addictions. Listen, I think that you should actually even read this book. It's a good book, and he's a philosophy major. But listen, don't miss this. Look up here. You can read this book. You can get your life together. You can kick an addiction and die and go to hell. Because it's not Jesus plus wisdom. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I even had a conversation with a guy who's a non-Christian who said because he read the book 12 Rules for Life where Jordan Peterson mentions God but in a philosophical sort of way that the guy said that he thinks he's a Christian now because he read the book. That's not Christianity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. That's what he's afraid of. That's what he's worried about. Is because we philosophize or whatever. I'm, I went to public school. I can't even say that word, okay? Just because we sort of mention God or, or muse about these things, that that must make us a Christian. And no, he says that ultimately it leads away from Christ. I mean, this is, did you know that most of our major universities in this nation, Harvard started as a seminary for professors. Yale started as a preacher's school because of the first great awakenings through George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. And what has happened? Just like the river, there were a number of things that took them out and took them under. It is not Jesus plus wisdom that gives you man-made philosophy And my goodness, over all of the books and all of the Aristotles and all of the Plato's and all of life's problems, I don't know about you, but I think in some avenues, human beings are advancing, but I think we're digressing in a lot of areas, okay? And listen, I really believe this. I really believe that the answers to life's greatest problems are found in Jesus Christ. Listen, Christianity has never been tried and found lacking. Never. Christianity has been tried and found difficult, therefore never tried again. Christianity has satisfied some of the greatest minds in human history. And what Paul is saying is don't get caught. Don't go under with the philosophy and with this and always debating, never arriving 
But it's Jesus that wisdom should ultimately lead us to Jesus. That's the first false equation. The second one is this. Jesus plus rules equals legalism. Look at what he says in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. That phrase means to um, render a verdict. To judge and render a verdict. About what? Um, In questions about food, about drink, with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. See, what you have to understand is that Christianity birthed from Jewish roots. As C.S. Lewis said that the the great irony is is that Jesus was Jewish, but his followers are not. And, And what some of these false teachers were doing is they were saying, yes, Jesus is good. And yes, Jesus... Jesus is the Son of God, but what we, all of those Old Testament regulations, we still must obey. We still must do these things. And the Apostle Paul explains it right there in verse 17. He says, no, no, no. These were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What does that mean? The reason why God instituted these things was to point to something. It was to point to something. Listen, all of these regulations, the Ten Commandments, all of these things were not given to God's people so then they could obey them and then earn God's favor. They were given to God's people to show that God's people need a Savior. So here's what legalism says. Legalism says, my obedience earns my acceptance. That's what legalism says. Legalism says this list that I have, and listen, remember, they're not bad things. They're not bad things. They're good things, like reading your Bible, praying, all of these things. But what legalism does is it looks at these good things, and it says, when I do these good things, God loves me more. And that is the false teaching. Paul says, no, 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 you can't let somebody come along and take you out. Um, Question, are there commandments that Jesus gives us to follow? Just, just, anytime I ask that, my wife's always like, do you know why people don't answer? Because they're afraid that they're going to say the wrong answer, okay? Does Jesus give us commandments to follow in the Bible? Yes, yes, he does. And they're good commandments. But do you know what order they come in? Well, he tells us in John 15, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, love always precedes the commandment. A relationship always comes before the rule. Please don't miss this. If you reverse this, you lose Christianity. Jesus did not say, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. He didn't say that. He said, if you love me, why would I love Jesus? Because of the cross of Christ, because of what he has done. But what legalism does is is it reverses it. And it. And then it renders verdicts to people. You see, I think that we say that we believe that, but we actually live by another lie. I think the greatest lie that many Christians live and believe is this. Grace saved me, but my performance keeps me secure. 
Oh, Jason, I get it. Um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, but God. We even repeat it back to the preacher. I want you to say, but God, but God. Amen, but God. Man, if it wasn't for that big but right there in the Bible, you're like, and we have funny sayings for it and all of that type of stuff. We're like, amen, but God. But we are exhausted day in and day out from trying to do and trying to do and trying to do. And the reality is, is the same grace that saves you is the same grace that keeps you. That's the good news of the Christian life. And so what this does is this produces two things. You see, legalism and liberalism are the same thing. They're just a different side of the same coin. And what they're, what they're based on is they're based on works. And so this chart and this graph um, has literally changed my life. It comes from Pastor Timothy Keller. But he says this is the difference in, in religion and the gospel. Um, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's what religion says. But the gospel says that you're accepted in Christ, therefore you're free to obey. You're free to do that. Um, Religion says the motivation is based out of fear and insecurity, right? That's why a couple weeks ago I said, that's why when you drive by the hitchhiker on the interstate and then your conscience goes, well, you didn't pick him up. And then on the day of judgment, Jesus is going to say, remember when I was on the side of 67 and you didn't give me a ride that day? Um, we, we entertain angels unaware, remember? And I didn't do that thing. And, so, and it's always um, anxiousness and insecurity or lashing out in anger at other people. Um, but the motivation in the gospel is grateful joy. Like, I don't deserve anything that I have. Everything that God's given me is, is a gift. Um, religion, obedience says, I obey in order to get things from God. Do you know what upsets a religious person more than anything? Apart from grace, they can't stand grace. They always have to say, well, grace and truth. And truth. Don't, don't slip on that slippery slope there, preacher, because it's grace and truth and truth, right? You, you, you always got to qualify it. Um, obedience, I obey God in order to get thought. Um, it's not just grace that totally rewires a religious brain. Here it is. It's suffering. It's suffering. Because when suffering enters in your world and you're a religious person, do you know what you do? You clench your fist and you shake it at God and say, I've never done those things. I've never been addicted to heroin or any of this stuff. Look at their, I have cancer and they don't. I cannot believe that you would do, because you're leaning back on the works righteousness. But when it comes to the gospel, I obey God to get God. Do you know what Christianity offers? Like, like, this is a good question for you to be able to have an answer to. If a non-Christian says, why should I become a Christian? What does Christianity offer me? How would you answer that? What would you say? Peace, joy, forgiveness. Those are all good. Those are byproducts. Here's what Christianity offers you. Christianity offers you Christ. The goal of following Jesus is Jesus. That's the goal. That's what Christianity offers. Um, religion says, um, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry, right? But then the gospel says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle. Hashtag, the struggle is real. 
But I know that God's not punishing me because that happened on the cross. Um, Religion says when it comes to criticism, oh man, a religious person that gets criticized. Criticism, when I'm criticized, I'm furious and devastated at the same time. I'm furious and devastated because it is critical that I think of myself as a good person. So when you have people invest in your life and they say, hey, our relationship, I think, is hitting a glass ceiling because I don't feel safe confessing sin around you or this because I feel judged. And I also don't feel like that you confess in return. Like I've looked back upon our relationship and it's oftentimes me confessing and then you, quote unquote, giving me advice. But I don't ever. And then when that happens, right, the anger rises up and it's like, well, who do you think you are? It's because I don't struggle with those things. And it's because that's a performance-based mindset. The gospel says that when I'm criticized, I struggle. I still struggle. But it's not essential for me to think of myself, quote-unquote, as a good person because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Listen, I believe the number one equation that wreaks havoc in Butler County is Jesus plus rules equals legalism. And listen, I believe that a lot of people think they're Christians and they're actually not. Because the harshest words that Jesus had in the New Testament was not for the prostitute, was not for the person caught in sexual sin. It was for the religious people that looked down their nose at other people and constantly judged. That's what, listen, these things are good. So, so, so let's make it modern and offend everybody in the room, okay? Some people say, um, Jason, I can't have internet at the house. I can't have internet at my house. I'm not um, accountable enough. Every time I have internet at my house, I end up looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at. Um, Jason, I don't have a smartphone because I can't handle this type of stuff. Is that a good thing? Yes, that's a good thing. I think some of us should probably walk that path a little bit more. That's a good thing. But here's what a religious person does. Anybody that has internet at their house is a sinner. Whoa, legalist Larry. Sorry, bro. Where, um, where'd you, why are you mad now all of a sudden? Where'd that come from, right? Um, you know, alcohol. Let's offend everybody. I'll get everybody nervous now, right? Um, you know, pastor, I, don't, I can't have alcohol. I come from a long line of alcohol. I can't do that. Um, great, that's a good thing. That's wise, really wise. A lot of warnings in the New Testament in the Bible about alcohol. Anybody that drinks alcohol is going to hell. Um, no, wrong. Wrong answer. Smoking cigarettes is going to send you straight to hell. Um, I think it will send you to the doctor. It's not going to send you to hell. Okay? And see, those of you that struggle with religion, you're nervous right now. You're arguing with me and you're saying, well, I've always... And yes, you're right. That does lead to some things. But listen to me. What makes us righteous and good in God's sight is only the cross of Christ. That's it. That's it, guys. Jesus plus rules equals legalism. And listen, legalism will lead you to despair because you're never good enough. And for religious people, Jesus is an example. Hey, listen, Jesus is not our example. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus, as an example, is crushing because you'll never live up to the example. And so you're never going to live up, so you're always in despair. Or, or God forbid, you actually think you live up. And now you live a life of pride. 
and self-deception. Listen, Jesus plus rules equals legalism, and that is something that can take us out. Jesus plus wisdom equals philosophy. Jesus plus rules equals legalism. How about this third one? Jesus plus experiences equals mysticism. Look at what he says there in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism. We'll get to that in just a minute. And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind. Um, The phrase to disqualify you literally means to um, take you out in that sense. So all of these are variants and very similar. Paul is saying, listen, if you give in to this, you're going to get taken out. And what mysticism says is this, um, I get closer to God by supernatural experiences. Supernatural stuff, man. I'm not down for that everyday, quiet time, journaling, reading your Bible. I, you know, sometimes, Jason, I don't even need to read my Bible because God just straight talks to me. Now, listen, um, I believe in these things. I believe that God can speak to us in a number of ways. I am not one to just step back and then judge what God can and cannot do. Um, But I know that God is um, 100% of the time going to speak with you when you open your Bible. 100% of the time, okay? And most of the time, what mysticism does is it chases supernatural experiences. And there's two things always involved with it. Spirituality and sensuality. In any cult and in any false teaching, it will always be, quote-unquote, spiritual experiences. So there will be praying, or they will be, there will be meditation, or there will be emptying of your mind. Um, as Christians, we don't believe to empty our mind. We believe to fill it with God's Word. We also, um, you can pray and experience a lot of things, and you can be conversating with a demon. I mean, we see that a lot in the Bible, Right? So, so the enemy is A-OK with an idea of a spiritual experience. And most of the time, what ends this is accountability, authority, and structure. So anytime somebody is seeking spiritual... Like, and listen, this creeps into the church. So when I see Christians rush to buy books that are like 23 minutes in heaven or 7 seconds in hell, and they read that before they read their Bible, that's concerning to me. It's concerning to me that we read books about the Bible rather than primarily reading our Bible. I believe that's a dangerous place to be. Now, there's great things in which we need to explain and learn and all of that. But anytime that you now say, um, well, let's check this or let's go down this path and validate that. Here it is. Anytime you ask somebody to submit to something that they don't want to do, the answer is, well, God told me that I don't really mean to do that. Like, like, like we as Christians have this slang term stuff. Um, the other one is, I'll pray about it. Hashtag, I ain't doing it, okay? I, I just don't have the courage to tell you that right now. So what, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray about it and send you a text message and say, hey, I prayed about it. I'm not doing that anymore, right? And it always involves some level of like service that's just not glorified or anything like that. But anytime you offer like a microphone or a stage, they're like, boy, God told me to do that. 
I'm like on board with that. That sounds great. A position of authority? Oh, that's great. God told me to do that, right? God told me to do that. But then whenever you submit and get under, um, and then Paul says this. He says that they're not attached, verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished. It's always sensuality and spirituality and always Always somebody that chases religious experiences and opts out of black and white obedience in the scriptures is, listen, I've just been in the game for a long time and I've always seen this, is an excuse for sexual sin. Always. It is, I will mingle some of this Jesus and some of God's word, I'll mingle that With this, with no accountability, no authority, God told me, I feel so I can do this. This is what I've always seen. And the Apostle Paul says that they're not attached to the head and they're puffed up. And then he says this, the ligaments and then it grows with the growth that comes from God. I loved that phrase this week, studying it. There's a growth That is a growth from God because not all growths are good. Like some growths are a tumor. And that's not from God, right? So what Paul is saying is you can have an appearance of quote-unquote spirituality, but the reality is is that's not a growth from God. And when I thought about this, listen, this is just the way that my mind works. He says that they're puffed up and then not attached to something, but they're all over the place. And so somebody that pursues sort of spiritual, only spiritual experiences all the time is because God told me and I've got the thing and I don't need to be involved in that because what you need to do is you need to experience. And the problem is what the reason why you're not experiencing that is because you really don't know the deep things. And then Paul says they're puffed up and they're not. They're not attached to anything. So every new book that comes out, every new crisis, every new wind of doctrine, they chase and they're all over the place. And Paul says, um, question, are there experiences that we experience in walking with Jesus? Yes. Are there angels? Yes. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when it's a bad thing. And then the last equation that I see is this. Jesus plus discipline equals aestheticism. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish after they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. Here it is, verse 23. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism. So here's what Paul says. Here's what's so dangerous about this stuff, is that it looks like that it's wise, that it looks like there's discipline in someone's life. And here's what aestheticism says. Aestheticism says, I can purify the soul by punishing my body. And so some Christian sects have taken this extremely over the line. 
and literally inflict harm upon themselves and punish themselves and fast almost to the point of death because then when we do these things, then we will really know God and then we will really get to experience God. One of the things that Jesus said on the cross was, it is finished. And the verse that we read when we entered into worship today was that the curtain that separated in the temple God's presence and God's people was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top symbolizing that man made his way to God, but from top to bottom symbolizing that God made his way to man and now everybody has free access through the person of Jesus Christ. And so these things that we do do not gain God's approval. It doesn't gain God's approval. We already have that in Christ. But what's interesting is, is, is look at the very last verse that he says. Severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's what Paul says. You want to punish yourself for the quote-unquote sin in your life? You want to keep fasting and keep white-knuckling it and keep doing it so you can stop that sin and stop that temptation and bad, 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 wrong, 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 sin, 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 and no joy in my life because I'm serious about God, man. And all of this, um, Paul would say, how's that going for you? Because the reality is, is that we change from the inside out, not the outside in. Listen, Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is heart transformation. That it starts from the inside and then out. So listen, the equation for us today is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this then? The whole key to the passage is found in verses 6 and 7. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. (laughs) Question, question. How did you receive Jesus? Broken, humble, in desperate need, my life in shambles. Nothing to show for my life. That's how I received Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says the same humble way that you received Jesus is the same humble way that you remain in Jesus, desperately needing Him every single day. It's not that we receive the gospel and then move on to bigger, better, and deeper things in our life. The same Jesus... The same, can you just for a moment, if you're a believer in this room, just for a moment, can you remember what it was like in your heart and in your mind when God supernaturally, through the power of His Holy Spirit, opened up your heart and mind to the riches and beauty of Jesus? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember what it was for you to go, all my chips are in. I've tried to do it my way my entire life and I have nothing to show for it. But now I'm finally surrendering that control over to Jesus. That moment, what Paul says, is the same moment that saved you, is the same moment that sustained you all through your Christian life. To be rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith just as you were taught 
abounding in thanksgiving. Listen, the same way that we receive Jesus is the same way that we continue with nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. And so in closing, as we look at this list, what is it for you? Is it, is it always knowledge? Is it always wisdom? Are you the guy that's got to get it figured out? And I've got to be able to explain. And the logical flow is, and I've got to... Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or are you the person who's the rule keeper? And it's not just a rule keeper for you, but also it's a rule keeper for other people. And the problem with those people is, is they don't. And what I do is, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or are you somebody who's always chasing a religious experience? And i got to get that feeling back because feelings are facts. And then if I don't feel that, then that means that God doesn't. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or are you somebody who's just deny, deny. I've got in order to get over the sin, in order to do this, I'm going to white knuckle this. Listen, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Guys, I have one message. I can't believe you keep coming back every week. I've got one message every single Sunday. And it's Jesus, only Jesus, just Jesus, and it will always be Jesus. It's what it's always going to be for you in your life. So the moment of sweet brokenness moment when he met you in the side of the car on the side of the road in the car with one windshield wiper that worked it's that Jesus that Jesus that saved you is the same Jesus that's going to keep you it's the beauty of the gospel and if you were so honest with yourself it's so exhausting everything else is so exhausting but not Jesus not Jesus Because I don't know about you, but I can't shake them. I've tried. I've tried to get rid of them. I've tried to run from them. He just keeps chasing me. He just keeps coming after me. And it's that love and it's that grace. That's what it is to be a Christian. So as I stand to your feet, and I want to read these verses over you found in verse 13. Wes, I'd listen to this good news. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, right now, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and He put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Don't let anybody disqualify you. See to it that no one takes you captive. Because just as you receive Jesus, so walk in Him. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today asking for your sweet forgiveness and your sweet grace because, God, we've tried to put so many things on the same level as you, Jesus. We believe the lie. We believe the lie that it was grace that saved us, but it's our performance that really keeps us secure. And the reality is, is for a majority of us in this room, it's exhausting. That, God, we can't even open up in relationships that were defensive even with the people closest to us, because we feel like everything is a threat to our righteousness. 
But the reality is, is that our good things are like filthy rags, that we offer nothing but the sin that required our very salvation. So Holy Spirit, today, with those of us in this room, we always try to put something in the blank. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us as to what that is. For some of us, it's control. For some of us, it's family. For some of us, it's our appearance. Whatever that is, may you convict us of that, but may you compel us to look to Jesus, who is enough. God, may we believe in this room today, Jesus, that you are enough. Open up our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.